What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. Uh, I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, Yubi and Mike. How are you guys doing? Ooh, Mike, we're wonderful today. Wonder, I, I heard that. I, that feels like I didn't even send her a toaster or a bagel or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just, you know what, it's that summer. It's that, uh, yeah. it's just coming in. It's it's, it's spring in the Rockies. Yeah. 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 Bagel, bagel's on its way though, Nina. <laughs> as long as we get to go out for a beer and sit out in the sunshine, then I'm going to be even happier. Please. Ooh, she said beer. Please. <laughs> so uh, I am super excited for our guest today. Um, I'd like uh, to welcome to our podcast, Kelly Cooper. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of Center for Social Intelligence. And she's also the author of a recent book entitled Lead the Change, the Competitive Advantage of Gender, Diversity, and Inclusion. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So why don't we just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm not sure what context you want, personal or professional, but I'll, uh, I guess I'll give you a rundown on both. Is that what yeah. you want? The whole story. Okay. The, whole the whole thing story. in 30 minutes. It's going to be a long, <laughs> quick, quick study. Um, okay. So um, hmm. I am the youngest of five. I grew up in a traditional family home. Um, father was a smarty pants. He uh, skipped two grades, actuary. So I think I brought that economic brain to this conversation. Um, parents split up when I was in my, when I was about 10. So different worlds became my norm. And uh, so I, I kind of learned a lot about, um, I guess, independence early, you could say. And um, I have three older brothers and an older sister. And um, so that's sort of my context. I won't get into all the details there, but that's that. Um, professionally, I have a environmental science degree from the University of Toronto and carried on to the University of Sussex in England to get an international environment <clears throat> development and policy master's degree, which was great. I've been blessed with an uh, exciting career where I've been able to travel to India and work there for seven months. Did a lot of backpacking as well. Um, great appreciation for India. Same with Africa. I did some travel for work and personal backpacking through there as well. This was in my 20s. Um, carried on with a career in, with the UN, uh, representing Canada at um, environment meetings. Uh, which was very interesting and of course gave me that insight to how the world works at that level on the issue of environment and uh, and sustainable development. And then um, after working with the federal government for about 11 years, uh, which I went into in order to, um, I guess, get that exposure both nationally, domestically and internationally that I, I've just spoken about. Um, I also had my kids during that period of time because in Canada, we have a great 
system there for maternity leave. But after um, I was in the government for about 11 years, I decided uh, the private sector was really more my speed. Um, I like to get things done. I have a lot of creativity and ideas and I I just wanted to explore that. So <clears throat> I left the government, the cozy confines there um, in many ways, and people thought I was nuts. But uh, yeah, so I jumped out of there and went in and put out my own sign and decided to do my own startup company. And um, I've been doing that now for the last 10 years and really haven't looked back. Yeah, the, the, the startup life, you know, it's kind of, I think we all did the same thing and it's, I mean, there's something to be said about that. Right. And, and the, the, the freedom to that, the freedom to kind of make your own decisions, you know, as, as opposed to corporate life. And um, yeah, I, I love, I love this community of entrepreneurship and it, it what's really um, so, so from, from your perspective, what, what's, what what is as 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 a female entrepreneur? What what was your experience getting into that by yourself? Was you know how would you describe it? It was challenging on many levels, um, but I I have a lot of tenacity and uh, like I say um, creativity. So for me, it was about I wanted to bring ideas to life, and because I had. Uh, experience and knowledge and the bureaucracy of the federal government, I knew how to maneuver through it. I knew how to find grants. I knew how to um, make things happen and get connections. And so it may have come a little bit easier to me than people who had not had that experience. Uh, prior to being in the government, I worked for a, an engineering consulting firm doing environmental assessments. So I had some, uh, and I had other consulting experiences before that as well. Um, so I had some exposure to consulting, but uh, that was protected, you could say, because I wasn't running the place. But um, so I had I had that knowledge. And I just, I just felt confident that I could make things happen. And so um, yeah, I just went for it. Love it, Kelly, this is Mike. And thank you again for joining us. Can you, uh, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to dive in with all of your experience. And I want to, oh, you obviously wanted to take your experience and put it into uh, both ink and digital ink with your book. Um, talk to us a little bit about like, you know, what, you know, why, why it is that you were inspired to actually, cause, cause we all know we've talked to a lot of authors and it, it's a commitment um, and it's more than a full-time job to actually get all those thoughts, but what inspired you to kind of get this down on paper uh, with a message that you wanted to share with the world? Well, working I, right now I'm working on a sector-wide initiative to affect culture change in the forest sector, specifically under gender diversity and inclusion. And so with that came uh, bringing together public, private, not-for-profit, indigenous and academia representatives across the forest sector as a steering committee to help me build a national action plan where we would affect change through um, data gathering, through fostering an inclusive culture and through repositioning the sector in terms of how it is communicated out to create an increase of uh, attraction and retention of women to the sector, as well as uh, communicating out to men about how they needed to change their behavior in order to make it more welcoming to underrepresented groups. So that process, that whole project started up in the fall of 2018, three-year project. It's, it's in the process of wrapping up and we're looking to continue it into phase two. 
Throughout that process, um, I've been engaging with C-suite, with the executives of the forest sector. Very traditional sector, as you can imagine, very male-dominated. Um, certainly uh, predominantly male and white, right? So um, it, the whole conversation of building this national action plan centered around them as the key audience to affect change. And what I was learning throughout all the work I've done before and as well through this process was uh, people were not communicating at their level. They were not getting it across. They, you know, you, you would say gender diversity or you'd say diversity inclusion and they would just shut out, right? And so I thought I have to write something. Like to me, there was a real gap there. There was a void in the conversation on how to access the C-suite. And so to me, it was all about how do I write up the value proposition of gender diversity and inclusion, and then give them a blueprint for how to take action in a very simple way. And so it actually didn't take me long to write the book. It, it Honestly, it took me like two months. And I just, um, I guess it was all in the head, right? It was already rattling around. And I interwoven uh, throughout the book, all my personal experiences. Well, I won't say all, because there's quite a few others. <laughs> People <laughs> would probably get tired of just hearing me constantly giving my own stories, but um, that would be a whole other book. But uh, it just added uh, validity, I guess, to having that personal voice throughout uh, the messaging. But it's been exceptionally um, well received. I can't, uh, I'm very happy about it because it has been the door opener to the C-suite uh, with a lot of people here in Canada and in the States now um, to get them to realize that this is not just a women's issue. This is an everybody's issue. So what have been, can you give us a taste of some of the, the things that we could learn from the book in terms of how do we start talking to executives about DEI strategies? So I basically meet them uh, where they're at, which is um, explaining to them. And I, I, I take from my knowledge and experience with the environment sector, because that's where I really had a focus before. Um, and I, I start the book by talking about the, you know, remember the days when uh, garbage was simply garbage. We did not have the recycle reuse uh, programs in place. Um, and people, when they think about that, they're like, yeah, you know what? I remember that. I remember there was, we just threw everything in a landfill and we didn't even care. And the environmental movement is, and, and I see the social um, <clears throat> in a similar vein, and it's all around the rubric of sustainable development. And for those who don't know what that means, it's really not compromising future generations um, uh, experience with the world by compromising the environment and social elements in favor of the economy. So learning from what the environmental movement has done for us 30 years ago, and that's when I graduated from U of T, it was all about sustainable development. And those were new cutting edge words in, and I'm aging myself here back in 1993. Okay, so, but I have lived in that milieu for the last 30 years. So to me, it's like, let's go back to something people can relate to. These guys are in their 40s and 50s and 60s. They know about that environmental movement. <clears throat> so I positioned it that way and start the conversation saying, uh, we went through a process of learning how to value the environment. And now we're seeing it with climate change, people putting a dollar on air. Okay, that was unheard of. 30 years ago, right? Um, <clears throat> and there are many other examples, the value of our oceans of water, 
things like that, the commons, we call it. So when people who are in these positions remember back to those days, hearken back to those days, they go, yeah, actually, we went through quite a movement, the environmental movement, to put a dollar on that. And I, I then lay it into the social element of things here. And I realized there's like a, there was a return on investment through investing in the people in your workplace. And that's the stuff you hear about all the time from the Deloitte's and the KPMG's, all the big management firms, they produce tons of reports, McKinsey, et cetera, on the business case. And um, things like, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about an inclusive culture. If you, if you, those companies that do that, who, who create an inclusive culture, have like a 56% increase in job performance. They see like a 50% drop in turnover sick days. Um, and so when you put that in perspective for a company that employs 10,000 people, this is a cost of $52 million. It's a lot of money. So when I spell out the business case and I give a lot more statistics, I just kind of hammer the first chapter on the value proposition about the statistics of the business case. And then I follow through after that to discuss the, um, the disincentives. So what I just share with you are the incentives to invest in your people. And then there are disincentives. And I speak about all the lawsuits that <clears throat> companies face that we see in the news every day. Um, so like here in Canada last year alone, $900 million was paid out in a, in a um, sexual misconduct lawsuit aimed at the Canadian Armed Forces. That's a lot of money. You know, in 2016, Google paid a former search executive $35 million in an exit package when he was reportedly forced to resign after a sexual assault investigation. And, and similarly, in 2017, we had 21st Century Fox News paid out $50 million for a sexual harassment lawsuit. And if you can stand it, they paid the accused males a combined $64 million to go away. So this is big bucks. And so when they start to realize like, wow, this is a lot of money that we could be stuck paying out if we don't get our act together. And so you, so that's the beginning, I guess, of the conversation. And then when, once they've got their heads wrapped around, this is important. This is actually, we're leaving money on the table here, potentially. And, and then they really see the cost of prevention being quite insignificant by comparison. I, I that's such a, this is great because I think, you know, for, for a lot of people in these positions where, you know, oftentimes they are the only people sort of championing these efforts within their organizations, you know, it, I think we all know that the only way this, a lot of these initiatives around diversity and inclusion and things like that, the, the only way they be, become anywhere near successful is with that leadership buy-in. And so I, I just, I love that approach. Like we've, um, there's a partner, a friend of ours here in Colorado who has a company called Generationology and his whole focus is on helping organizations may really, uh, bridge the gap of conversation between the five generations that are in the workforce. And so it, it's, I, I love what you're doing because you, you're, you're understanding that generational push and pull of of executives and and applying this this technique that um, they'll get right like that they'll understand and mm -hmm. I think that that's important I think that's a huge tactical thing that people like in our audience can take away is 
you know, understanding your audience um, is, is so crucial. Has, has anything changed in the last year, given, you know, the, you know, post George Floyd's murder, Black Voices Matter, all these conversations about systemic inequalities, you know, this, the diversity and inclusion um, really took a, became a priority for executives. Have you seen, what, what shifts have you seen there? Yes, I have seen shifts, um, definitely. And uh, because I'm kind of immersed right now in the forest sector project, and that's not to say that's the only sector I work in, but it's the one because it's the sector-wide approach uh, that I'm immersed, like I'm just so ensconced in, I see the changes there and they're significant. I was actually in a meeting yesterday and, and um, a woman there, she said, she said she, she had bought my book and she bought 10 copies for her executive committee and they're working their way through it as a team. And she said, Kelly, I cannot tell you how much I have heard about gender diversity and inclusion in the halls these, like, in, because they're in the, all their meetings. And, and then she said, I, I just hear about it all the time now. And um, she said, it, it is such, and I couldn't believe this. I said, I have to quote you on this. She said, it is such a good time to be a woman in the forest sector right now. And I thought that is an incredible thing to say. So it's not just about women though, but it's about re recognizing intersectionality of women. So in my, my perspective right now, I've seen tremendous shifts happening. That's just one little example, but uh, people are paying attention to this in ways they weren't before. And it's very exciting. It's what gets me up every day. I, I, I love it. And I love hearing the, the true enthusiasm that's coming from me. Like it's, that's, that's what's, to me amazing about our podcast and our platform because the uh <laughs> the, like we don't have to ask you to be passionate like this is uh uh it, it's it's fun to listen to that and it's infectious uh kelly i i, I want to know like okay so um yes you're you're really focused on the forest service but we, we all know like this this isn't <laughs> <laughs> this this no, crosses private yeah. and public. This cro like it exactly. crosses industries, right? Different verticals. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so great the business case. So talk a little bit more about like you're saying, like if you if you work in on the preventative, like it's just so much less expensive. Give mm -hmm. give our listeners like you know if there's a you know a tip or a trick that they could take away with right now. Obviously, you know buying your book, but but give <laughs> what what tip and trick, Kelly, that you can give our listeners right now to kind of like think about this pervasively. Well, if you're a C-suite person listening to this, uh, your leadership is critical, and you have to take this uh, by storm, and um, and that means take it seriously and invest in someone to analyze your data right now on and look at your numbers, look at your, your uh, representation. I'm sure you have that. Every company usually has that and, um, and start telling your and start and asking some difficult questions. Why don't we have more women on our boards? Why don't we have more uh, women or people of color uh, in our executive C-suite? The diversity of thought that comes with that diversity of representation is critical to competitive advantage in the workplace these days. And to not have it is, uh, you can be left behind. Like that's how powerful it is. So that would be the thing for the for executives. Um, 
if you're somebody in an HR VP role, um, I would say it's it, it's the same kind of target, but they can't, they have to sell it upstream. Again, make your business case, set up um, a presentation for your executive committee. And if you don't have data, you bring in data from um, companies that are your peers, that are your competitors, and you show them. There's lots of, in my book, I give a lot of case examples of leading companies internationally that are doing this and doing it so successfully, they get uh, a huge return on investment, like over 12%. So they, you can show them uh, examples, compare it to your data and show them the money that's being left on the table. That's what I would say for the C-suite. If you're somebody who's at the other end, who's sort of at the front lines of things, it's really about um, modeling behavior and um, and carrying it forward to your peers and, and being sort of a um, check and balance for others' behaviors. You know, be that person who um, says, you know, that that kind of talk is inappropriate here, or that's not the way this company operates. We don't allow for that kind of uh, commentary or joke. A lot of things are about jokes, right? You try and nip these things in the bud by being the um, the role model. Yeah, those are a couple of quick tips. Love, yeah, that's great. I think exactly because it's. I think some people, you know, on the front lines don't don't think that they have the power to impact and and, and help drive change, um, but you're exactly spot on. I think that's 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 great advice. It's like just just be better. <laughs> It'll yeah. catch on, you know, mm-hmm. and be curious, be curious about other cultures. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people don't do a lot of like, not everyone travels the world, so they don't have that perspective, but you know, people talk about wanting to travel the world and, and they eat different foods and, you know, it's like, be curious, ask about it. If Ramadan's going on, Hey, tell me about that. What does that mean for you? What is that? What is that like for you? Not eating between sunrise and sunset. That must be kind of challenging and uh, what can I do to help you through your day is there anything I can do you know that sort of thing yeah that's great that's yeah because I think the people don't realize and and, you know this kind of leads into my my final question for you but you know with with COVID and sort of this this shift now to a, a, a new normal of work from home or hybrid you know it's those you know, where before there was such a uh, work versus life kind of mentality, right? There wasn't, there mm-hmm. wasn't overlap. And now it's kind of the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> how, I mean, how do, how do leaders and how do people take that, take that into, um, into consideration when, when thinking about all of these things? I mean, what, in, and what in, in your perspective is, you know, how are things going to change more? Well, it's interesting. There's a lot of statistics out there right now saying that women are bearing the brunt of COVID because they're the ones dealing with the kids at the home front and all the issues surrounding COVID. And and, uh, a lot of women are pulling out of their jobs completely. Um, And they're saying, if, if we don't pay closer attention to this dynamic, you know, we're going, we're regressing the whole, feminist issues around uh, women in in work. So that's one thing. But I I would say that uh, for a lot of the men I've talked to, they're getting a bit of a wake-up call. Um, They're getting to see the reality 
of what goes on. Um, and they're being forced to take on more responsibility on the home front because their partner has a job too. So there, there's sort of two ways of thought on it, what I've seen. One is women are just quitting because it's not worth it. They don't make enough money and they're like, forget it. It's not worth it. I want to pay attention to my kids, their education, whatever they have to homeschool. It's a challenge to be working at the same time. Others are saying, okay, you know, if they're, if they're both employed at a, you know, similar pay scale, they're saying, look, we have to divide and conquer here. I can't be always doing everything. I'm, it's going to burn out our marriage. It's going to burn out everything. So there's some men who are saying, I had no idea just how much was going on. And so I think out of those relationships, we're going to see uh, greater respect and understanding for what it takes to deal with the social aspects of our lives. And again, we do not put a dollar figure on this, but it's a hefty price. If you don't pay attention to those pieces now during this COVID times, like a lot of these kids are going to fall through the cracks. What's our future like? Got these people. I mean, a lot of people talk about that. You, kids who are cutting out of school at high school levels because they just can't do online schooling. You know, this is a big deal. It's been going on for a long time. I know maybe you guys are going to be out of it sooner than us, but we're still struggling through this. And uh, it may be on for another year before things really get back to school in person full time. Kelly, I want to I want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And um, where can people find you and your book so they can start going back and, and implementing all the great uh, stuff that you've already the playbooks that you've put together for people to actually bring back to their to their teams? Where can they find you and the book? So you can go to www.center. That's C-E-N-T-R-E. It's the uh, Canadian way. Sorry for the confusion. So center for F-O-R socialintelligence.ca, all one word. Or you can find me on social media. Um, my book is also available on Amazon. And uh, again, it's called Lead the Change, the Competitive Advantage of Gender Diversity and Inclusion. And as I mentioned, it, it really spells out quite simply what the value proposition is for GDI and it gives a blueprint for the C-suite on how to take action. I don't even want to say it's just for the C-suite because others have come forward and said how helpful it's been. So uh, and they're not necessarily in the C-suite positions, but uh, that's how you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a great conversation. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, as usual, you can catch us on chooseinclusion.com for all of our episodes, posting it on all of the different streaming platforms out there. And we will uh, catch you all next time. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.